We'll be in Hebrews chapter 3 this morning, starting a new chapter in our journey through the book of Hebrews. Of course, I might as well say it on the out front, there's also a game on today. Uh, Jessica at the Welcome Center told me that she heard that Taylor Swift's boyfriend was playing an Usher, con Usher concert later today. So that's for all of you who have no idea what the game is about, but... Uh, it, it actually can be used for a teaching moment in your life if you find yourself watching it or even just being uh, around it today because um, as we sang of great faithfulness, today will be a display of human greatness. Uh, many people think it is the greatest sporting event, certainly in our country, maybe uh, that happens every year, and it will be a competition to see who is the greatest on so many different levels. Greatest team, greatest player, you will maybe have a judgment on the greatest commercial that you see, uh, the greatest food that you eat, and to understand greatness, you have a view of what's happening in the Super Bowl, because it's always measured against something else. To understand who the team or player or any other category of greatness is, you're, what you're actually doing is saying, it's greater than this. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite quotes to come from the, all of the, the conversation around the Super Bowl this week was by a comedian who was asked why the Super Bowl is considered to be the greatest game. And he said, I believe that the Super Bowl is the greatest because a bad Super Bowl halftime show is better than any soccer game. Sorry. <laughs> I tend to disagree with that, but, but it has to be measured. The book of Hebrews, as we have stated over and over and over again, is a book that is declaring the greatness of Jesus by continually comparing him to something else, to someone else. And today, very fittingly, as we think of uh, two great teams that will match up against each other, today we will see the greatness of Jesus in comparison to one of the other greats in the story of the Bible. Today we are looking at Jesus in comparison to the greatness of Moses. And a, a good title for the message might be, Even More Glory, as that greatness is compared uh, so you'll read along with me starting in verse 1. It says in chapter 3, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him whom, uh, who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For the one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. There's a picture for you. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. This is a great passage of scripture to understand just what's happening in Hebrews. He says, just as we read that last verse, which we'll conclude with, uh, this, is, this is our house that we belong to with Christ his son if we make it until the end. 
And this gives a reminder to us what the struggle is in this entire book, that there is a challenge to consider following until the end. Maybe go back to some other version of greatness that was experienced before. And that is why we study this book. We are all called to endure to the end, and yet there are other versions of who you may follow or what you may look to as your hope and your rejoicing that are less than the greatness of Christ and yet still enticing. So the theme that we've looked at over and over again is don't leave the greater for the lesser. Doesn't mean that the lesser is bad. It means that what you are leaving in leaving Christ for anything that may come as a temptation or a, another offering to your life, you will be leaving the greatness of Christ for something less than Christ. And so throughout the book, the, uh, the author has made the argument that, that Jesus is greater than. And chapter one, it was Jesus is greater than the angels and the prophets as messengers. He, he brings the fullness of the message. And then last chapter, it was Jesus is the greatest man. He brings a fullness of salvation in his divine nature, taking on the human nature to become the fulfillment of Psalm 8. We are given dominion over all the earth. God is mindful of us. And now we come to what might be the great temptation for these people, and we'll try to understand it for our time, is the greatness not just of the angels and the prophets, not just understanding man's role compared to being lower than the angels, but now Moses himself. So how do we get there? It says, therefore, verse one, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. These are two phrases that link where we've been to where we're going. Uh, he says, holy brethren, remembering your special and unique position in Christ, you're now considered holy, set apart, part of the brotherhood that we looked at last week. Jesus not ashamed to call us brothers as the captain of our salvation. He is part of the brotherhood of the family of God. And now the writer says, you're in the family. That's gonna be important as we look at the analogy of the house. Holy brethren, the partakers of the heavenly calling. This is a a continuous active role that you have in the call of God to follow Christ. And it also is another teaching point to the way that life is directional. The people who are listening to this message needed to be reminded that they are taking part in a calling that goes all the way to heaven. Remember your calling. Your calling is not for the success of your uh, years as a parent or in your specific job right now. Your calling is not just a period of time on one mission field or one conversation with people. We are called to heaven. So we continue on until then. And all of the forks in the road and the challenges and the suffering and the difficulty of life, you must remember where the finish line of your calling is. We are partakers in the call, the upward call to continue to press on, to look forward. And how do we do that? It says now to consider Jesus. Once again, Jesus will be, given a, will be given a view of Jesus to help us understand who we are in Christ, where he's taking us, and how to continue. He says, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, 
Christ Jesus. Two titles that have actually come up in the runway to Hebrews chapter 3 that will be helpful to uh, understand how Jesus fulfills them and, and how Moses comes in. So apostle is a title we typically think of for the disciples of Jesus that then witness his resurrection and go forth in the early church movement to plant the churches and lead them. You have the 12 apostles, or including Paul, one born out of due season. In this sense, the word just means the sent one. The, the one who was sent by God. So as the apostles were sent by Jesus to the great commissioning of the world, the, the, the world, so Christ has been sent into our world. He is the sent one by God to now speak as God used to speak through messengers and prophets. He now speaks the radiance of God's glory, the voice of God seen in Jesus, seen and heard in Jesus. He is the sent one to us. And then it says, the high priest of our confession. We left off last week this theme of Jesus being the high priest or the mediator, the one that is both representing God to man and man to God, the, the intercessor of our need to be forgiven and also offering our forgiveness, the playing the role that was seen in the priest as he would go into the Holy of Holies to make intercession on behalf of the people now fulfilled in Christ. And aren't we glad that he is? our high priest. I was actually studying this passage of scripture last night uh, after dark in a park, which I guess is illegal for the people who know the rules of a park. So the cop knocks on my door <laughs> and he says, what are you doing? I said, I'm studying about Jesus as the high priest. <laughs> and he said, uh, yeah, thank God he is. So I would hate to make blood sacrifices. And I said, thank you. That's a really good insight that I'm going to share with the church. So that, that comes to you on behalf of the BPD. We no longer have to make blood sacrifices. We have a high priest who has made intercession for us and he lives to make intercession. So he fills these offices now as someone that we can look to as the fullness, the greatness of what God's plan was through all of the shadows that brought us here into the radiance of what was to come through Christ. How does that bring us to Moses? Well, Moses, in fact is in some ways God's picture of apostle and high priest in his call on his life that God had planned for him in the deliverance of God's people from Egypt. Let's read Exodus chapter three. You'll remember Moses has been a shepherd now for 40 years and he's out in the, uh, the high desert of, of the land and uh, a, a bush catches fire but is not consumed, and it turns out to be the voice, the consuming fire, the living God. As we know, a God who once spoke in various times, in various ways, this was one of them. And in Exodus 3, he has a call on Moses' life. What does he say? Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. What a beautiful mission statement that gives us a picture of Moses' call that we are now going to study in all the ways he was faithful to complete. He says, I'm sending you. You are going to be an apostle into the household and to the kingdom that Pharaoh oversees. And you are going to represent my people with your older brother Aaron as high priest to make intercession on behalf of those who need to be set free. 
So in Moses, we, we, we see a preview of things to come in Christ. He is a sent one into Egypt or back to the, the kingdom of Pharaoh, and he is going to make intercession so that on behalf of God's people, he will set, his, set God's people free. And that's where we get this beautiful comparison. The comparison of the greatness of what Moses did in his call to be faithful to this mission. In some ways, he was reluctant. In some ways, he felt ill-equipped. In some ways, it would be challenging. He would, be, uh, he would go way beyond what his natural capabilities would, would take him. But he, in the faithfulness he had to obey the word of the Lord, completed the mission. And that is why it says that he was faithful, in verse 5, in all his house as servant for a testimony of things which would be spoken afterward. But here is the, the, the where we started. To understand greatness, you must compare it to previous bits of glory. It says in verse 4, the one, Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory. He's worthy of more glory than even the greatest person that came before him to, to display the faithfulness of God's call on his life and give a testimony of things to come. Jesus is greater and worthy of more glory than Moses. Let's just briefly look at a couple ways that you can see the faithfulness of, of Moses, worthy of more glory in, as seen in the faithfulness of Christ. Of course, we just talked about the mission. Moses was faithful in his call to deliver God's people from bondage. He went head to head. He went uh, plague to plague with Pharaoh. And in that, God displayed his power through his apostle sent one Moses. And Moses was the leader of God's people out of slavery in Egypt, crossed the Red Sea into the wilderness towards the promise. Faithfulness of Moses to lead that difficult mission. And that's why he's one of the greats. And yet Jesus offers a greater deliverance. Moses offered a deliverance from the bondage of physical slavery. And Jesus said, anyone who is a sinner is a slave to sin. And he brought, he came and fulfilled the Isaiah prophecy when he opened up the scroll and said, I have come to set the captives free. And it sets us free in ways that go far beyond anything that you can experience in physical bondage through a spiritual liberation. He is the greater deliverer. Moses, the faithful giver of the law. Moses went on top of Mount Sinai. And in faithfulness to God's call as, as the shepherd of his people, he delivered to the people the Ten Commandments faithfully and beautifully in a way that set a foundation for the the old covenant that this would be the law of God's people and by doing well by the law, they would do well to honor God and be blessed. And he delivered that on behalf of God. And this is going to be a moment for a, a plug that is long overdue. We are actually studying every Wednesday night the law. And I, I think... I mean, we're talking about greatness today. I think what Tom is doing, Tom Velasco, one of our elders, um, best teacher that most of you have ever heard, and if you've heard him, 
what he's doing on Wednesday nights to teach through the law is incredible. I told him last Wednesday, this is going to go down as one of the great sermon series of all time. So if you're not doing anything Wednesdays, uh, he left us off with a real cliffhanger. This Wednesday, we're going to learn not to murder. And so (laughs) either come to hear great teaching or come to overcome a temptation to murder. (laughs) Wednesdays at 6.30. And I emphasize that because Remember, Moses is being honored as faithful in his glory. We are not elevating Christ to diminish what Moses did. We are not bringing in a new covenant through, through the, the power of God's grace and diminishing the law. The law was beautiful. The law is beautiful. And Jesus, in his faithfulness, also went on top of a mountain had the joy of going to the Mount of Beatitudes in our last year's trip to Israel. And we saw in a similar way, Jesus displaying faithfulness to deliver God's law to the people, to his disciples in a deeper and a, in a more uh, spiritual way. And he quotes Moses. He says, you've heard it said in days of old, But I say to you now, Jesus, faithful in teaching the fullness of the law. He said, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill the law. The law given on Sinai was glorious. The law given on the Sermon on the Mount was even more glorious. Faithful in intercession. As we've talked about the the role of Moses to speak on behalf of the people. He made intercession for the people of God. Uh, You'll remember specifically a moment of great intercession, Exodus chapter 32. The law has been given. God has given his commandments to his people by which they will be blessed or cursed. And what happens in just a short amount of time? The people remembering how worship used to work in Egypt decided to, to convince Aaron to make them a golden calf. And while Moses is being faithful to Uh, deliver the law to the people. The people are being faithless in worshiping God. And God says, I'm going to wipe these people out. My wrath is rightfully and justly poured out on these rebellious people that I've chosen for myself. And Moses says, wait a minute. What would would the Egyptians say? You delivered them out here just to, to leave them in the desert? He's interceding. What, what about the promise you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that you would multiply the descendants and make them a great nation? You can't. I'm interceding. May, may your wrath be put aside. And God, as a picture of, of honoring the role of intercessor, relents. And the people are given grace and mercy. And in the same way we see the faithfulness of Jesus interceding on our behalf. The, 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 the run-up to his night when he was betrayed, he's praying, John chapter 17, bless them, keep them from the evil one. I and you and, and you and them, they, may they be one as we are one. And he's just praying an intercessory blessing on the people that God has given him to disciple and lead and serve. And in his faithful intercession, he pleads as the wrath of God 
isn't being diverted, but is actually being justly poured out on his own cross. He intercedes on our behalf and says, Father, forgive them. A greater glory, more glorious, more faithful. And Jesus and Moses, both faithful in the Passover. The, the, the reminder of how God's people are actually saved and brought into the covenant household of God. Moses instituted a yearly reminder where they would take a lamb and they would offer it as a sacrifice to remember the blood over the threshold to, to prevent the angel of death from touching one of God's people a glorious bout of faithfulness that every year you'll remember faithfully that God is good and just to spare those who believe in the, in the sacrifice of the lamb. And then what happens? Jesus is the Passover. He is the lamb of God worthy to take away the sin of the world. And in our time together, we remember the greater sacrifice, the greater offering was Jesus himself. We remember him as we take communion. So in this, we see what the author of Hebrews is saying. There is faithfulness to be honored. There's faithfulness to be remembered. And it's a faithfulness that can be measured to see how great the faithfulness of Jesus as the captain of your salvation is, as the leader of God's people now. This whole book is a reminder of how good and faithful Jesus is. Why? Because the temptation is to lose faith. The temptation in your life is to not understand just how rich and good and glorious the faithfulness of Jesus is to be called our apostle, high priest, captain of our salvation, that he was faithful until the end. Obedient to the point of death, never giving up on his scattered disciples who betray him. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. God is faithful, and you need to hear the message of the most glorious examples of God's faithfulness in Christ because he's calling you now to be faithful. Be faithful people in a world that it seems is at an all-time low when it comes to the commitment of people to other people. I mean, if we could make one uh, diagnosis of the challenges of our world today is that we are fickle people. We're not faithful. We're fickle when it comes to interpersonal relationships. We're fickle when it comes to our careers and our jobs. We're fickle when it comes to uh, the, the, the things that we, we do with our time and our money. We're just moved from thing to thing and we're fickle with God. And the author says, remember the faithfulness of Jesus and it's worthy of even more glory than any example of faithfulness that you've had. So that's the teaching. That's Jesus being greater than Moses. It may be the most clear presentation that we have in all of the better than comparisons we've seen thus far. And so the question now is, so what do you do with that? What does that warning look like for you, that reminder for you? Because uh, by and large, there, there may be exceptions, but most of you are probably not tempted to shift your worship and your honor and the glory that you want to give to a, a leader of the faith to Moses. Moses. 
That was a temptation that these people uniquely had because they were people of the Torah. They were people that studied Moses' word. They were people that looked to Moses' law. They were people that loved the traditions and the feasts that reminded them of the story of Moses. You not so much. So we'll try to, I'll try to encourage you in some of the ways this encouraged me. One of the things that often happens that is seen in the book of Hebrews that I think we are all tempted by is to sometimes take our eyes off Jesus and place it to the servant or the one that was used as a messenger of Jesus. Moses, in all this rich history, you're taking your eyes off the greater to go to the lesser because he also was great. He was a great leader, and it's so easy to, 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 to take your eyes off the greatness and the glory of Christ and point it on a leader or a servant. It says that Moses was a servant of the house, but the builder of the house was God. And I have to say, the church age that we look in, or we live in, it seems as though that we so often come to worship God and want to know God through the study of his word, but because it's delivered through the mouths of servants and the talents of musicians and sometimes the house that people can build and brand and make look so nice that it is so easy to say, I I was here for God, but I'm really, really inclined to listen more intently because this person is so great. Just human nature. I, I mean, today will be an exercise in how easy it is for the human heart to gravitate towards human worship whether it's an athlete or a musician or some celebrity that's dating an athlete, whatever it is, we love when humans seem great. And I think one of the ways that God will give us a more clear vision of himself is when we stop looking so intently on his servants. I in the theme of football, I'll, I'll share this point in a way that maybe will be best served with some, a hint of comedy, because this actually comes from a comedian. Um, there's, a, there's a comedian who shares, in parallel to how great and, and how much we love just drafting our fantasy teams in football. Have you heard of the pastor fantasy draft? It's a, it's a great exercise in how silly all of this is. Um, here's the idea. Each player picks a pastor for their team based on the pastor's strengths. And here are some picks to choose from. Now, these are no pastors that I'll endorse. My whole message is to say, stop looking at pastors so much and start looking unto Jesus. Joel Osteen. (laughs) Probably the number one pick. (laughs) Uh, As people vote with their feet. Uh, His strengths, books are in airports, preaches to the largest congregation every week. Great looking man. Uh, beautiful wife, basically the Tom Brady of preachers. So, <laughs> Stephen Furtick, the highest applause break per sermon of any white pastor. <laughs> Jesse Duplantis, he's about to raise $33 million for a new jet. His sermons per week average is about to go through the roof, so his stock is on the rise. Andy Stanley always converts in the red zone, uh, and that is Christian speak for the holidays. 
You'd also have to consider T.D. Jake's stage presence, Tim Keller's theology, Creflo Dollar's money, Judith Smith's fashion, Rick Warren's book sales, and Tim Tebow's muscles. All of these on display for us to consider. And it's laughable. It's laughable when we take our eyes off Jesus and say, man, I just love when this guy preaches. It makes it just so good. Now, this message is about faithfulness. The servant should be honored and the servant is used by God for God's purposes, appointed by God. It says that. This is not to diminish the role of pastor or songwriter or the ways that we gather in buildings. All of them great. But if we do any kind of jockeying for position into who goes where and which one is the best, it's laughable. It's silly. Why would we ever take our eyes off the glory of Christ, the call to heaven? We see through this mirror dimly lit and someday we'll have this glory of what is beyond the veil of earth. And we spend so much time just looking around and nitpicking on all of the servants. And so this is a call to say, Moses and all his great, this is the key phrase of the message. Jesus is worthy of more glory of anyone or anything, any object of your interest, desire, worship, or praise, whatever your little human heart is inclined to enjoy, enjoy it with the faithfulness that God gives you to enjoy it and know that Jesus is worthy of more glory than it all. Today, we we already mentioned that there will be a display of human glory today. And there will be a team that receives glory for winning. Jesus is worthy than more glory than a stadium full of fans praising the name of a football team. And there will be a player that wins the most valuable player. And remember the phrase, Jesus is worthy of more glory than any person who does really well at running and catching. There will be a musician that gets glory for their career accomplishment, fine. There will be people that are involved that do well. There will be things in your life that deserve some praise and they're worthy of it. But just know this, here's the message of Hebrews. If you look and consider who Christ is, he's worthy of it all. There's over a hundred million people that will watch this game today. And it seems like a lot until you remember that the word declares that there's coming a day when every knee and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. He is worthy of the glory that is offered by the entire world. Not a fan base, not a particular sport, not a particular country, but every human tongue will confess his worthiness. How often... We lose sight of the, that we are partaking in this heavenly calling and we just look around. We say, well, I like this guy and you like that guy and hopefully we see each other soon. Jesus is worthy of more glory. So, points of exhortation. Two things. There's actually two ways that the author gives us some exhortation and how to be people who, as we've stated earlier, don't drift from this message. We're anchored in the worthiness of, worthiness of Christ. It comes in the beginning at the end of the passage. Chapter three, verse one says this. 
Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. I already said that one of the diagnosed for our sick culture is our utter lack of faithfulness towards anything. And I must say, if I'm looking for a, another symptom of the, a cause of the symptom, I would say we're, we completely lack deep and meaningful consideration of anything. We, we, we live in a time where the attention span is so low that we, we get spoon-fed opinions and ideas in 15-second increments, and, and we don't take time to think about any of it. And what this word is saying is not just consider him, like add him to a list of things you're thinking about. It's a deep reflection on who Jesus is in all of the things we've studied so far. Consider that he is the radiance of the glory of God, same nature as God. He is God incarnate. What does that mean for your life? Consider him as the sent one into our world to make intercession for us. And he is a faithful and merciful high priest. Meditate on that. Meditate on your need to partake in the heavenly calling. Meditate on your role in the holy brethren. Consider, consider, consider. Be a person who thinks about things, namely Jesus. Here's how one commentator put it. Because we think so little and to so little purpose on Christ, we know so little about him, that we love so little, we trust so little, and we are so greatly influenced by the things seen and temporal and so little moved by things unseen and eternal. Because we don't think of who Christ is and what he has accomplished on our behalf and who he has called us to be, we're just moved by all of the things that we can see, the temporal scene. And we're completely unmoved, not brought to our knees about the eternal heaven that awaits. So consider. I, I, I spent hours thinking about this passage of scripture. I, got, I almost got arrested thinking about it in a park. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, it, it's a wrestling match it, that I, I pray we would all do that you would just consider what is God speaking to me about through his word. First exhortation is consider him. And the final one in the last verse, but Christ as a son over his own house. Every house has a builder. The builder of all things is God. And Moses was a servant in the house. Christ is son over the house. There's a different role. If you ever see Batman Rising, you never hear a movie called Alfred Rising. It's always Bruce Wayne. He's the heir. It's his mansion. It's his house. It's his stuff. And Alfred is the servant. And Christ is the heir. It is his house. It is his people. He is the heir that we get to share in the inheritance with. And you get to be called sons and daughters of the household whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Consider Christ. And the second thing, exhortation, have confidence in Christ. 
This word confidence, the, one way to understand it is boasting. It's, it's, it's like what you would do if your team scored and you were so excited and they get to the point where they win and now you are boasting and excited. You're confident in what they have done. That is what the author is saying. You're in the house. Not because of the law of Moses, by the works of the law, no man will be saved. You're in the house because the son is not ashamed to call you brethren. Be confident, and here's how you know you have the confidence. You have rejoicing hope in your calling. You are no longer living under the burden. Am I in? Am I out? Does God love me? Does he not? Have I done well enough according to the law this week? You are in the house according to Christ who is your more glorious intercessor, deliverer, faithful, sent one into your life. Be confident that God loves you, that God is good, and whatever you're going through, if you faithfully endure, you will get to the end just as Christ did. And I was thinking of what it looks like to just have confidence in Christ. And, and then Seth stood up and said, let's sing one song before we get into the word. And we sang over and over and over, great is thy faithfulness. If you were like me, singing that song is declaring the confidence I have in everything God has called me to do. In the heavenly calling, I am declaring and boasting about God's faithfulness. Why? Because the most glorious picture of the faithfulness of God has been revealed in Christ. Consider him who is faithful and be confident. Whatever you're going through, you can endure and God is faithful. You can be confident that God is faithful to empower you to do what he's called you to do.